And we are in 1 Peter chapter 5 today. 1 Peter 5, we'll be looking at verses 4 and 5. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, who's just proclaimed that at the end of the day, we respond with a hallelujah, all we have is you. And when we find that, that expression, all we have, we find out that's all we ever needed and that's all we should have ever wanted. Because you and you alone are the one that fills all of those areas that are clamoring for attention. Clamoring for enjoyment and pleasure, as the psalmist reminds us that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So forgive us for the week of pursuing after worthless pleasures as if we could drink deeply of them and be satisfied. And only when we have tried that and we find them not even to be close to satisfying, help us to drink deep of your word today. As you told the woman at the well that you will give her water that she will never thirst again. May we drink deeply of that water and that word quenching this desire that only you can heal. In your name we pray, amen. Being humble and humility, it's a struggle. It's something that is not easy. And my friend, country singer Mac Davis, uh, likes to remind us of this challenge when he, in a way, proclaimed, Oh Lord, it is hard to be humble. He went on to say, when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror, because I get better looking each day. He reminds us again, oh Lord, it is hard to be humble, but here's what he said, but I'm doing the best that I can. And even though we can chuckle about that guy's song, uh, let's be honest, we all sing that in our own sort of way. Uh, my favorite, I mean, you could go on, I, I could have given you a litany of all those humble things, you know, how most of us pride ourselves in our humility, and you could just, goes downhill from there. But when we think of the idea of being humble, and the need for being humble, that comes from 1 Peter 5, 4 through 5, and so let's read that, and then we'll start breaking down the text. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown, unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The title of the sermon today is Be Humble. Now, we want to make sure we understand this whole idea of being humble is written in the broader context of Peter exhorting the elders among them to, to function in a certain way. You're supposed to be doing this, not this. Supposed to be wanting to be eager, not doing it because you have to. And he goes back and forth on this whole uh, back and forth arguments of how you are to be, understanding that they are to be examples to the flock, and then he wraps up verse 4, and then he's going to move to a, something that is incredibly important, the humility of not just the elder, but the humility of the flock as well. But before we get to that, though, I want to give you just a couple of uh, thoughts on verse 4. Remember, he is speaking to a group of elders, which is another way of saying pastors, which is another way of saying shepherds, which is another way of saying overseers. All of these are speaking of the same office. Pastor, shepherd, overseer. An elder. And he reminds them that when the chief 
shepherd appears. Notice that word chief shepherd. That means that all those who are under the chief shepherd are in a way being underlings or hired shepherds underneath the chief shepherd. And they will be accountable to that shepherd one day. And remember as we went through this in other passages that we'll look at a little bit later that these shepherds here have been entrusted with the flock of God. And that they are going to be held accountable. Because that chief shepherd will appear, and when he appears, here's what the text reminds us. That these elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. So what we see here is that these shepherds are not getting this unfading crown of glory because of who they are. They're getting this because of what God has called them to. Because the text in verse 5 is going to continue on by saying that these elders, pastors, shepherds, and overseers are called to be a humble example to the church. This humble example. When we think about this humility of those in leadership, another way of putting it is this. The leaders of the, of the flock that God has given them are to be serving on, another way of putting it, on the ground level of the church. So the elders are, in a way, subjecting themselves to the needs of the church. So an elder sees the needs of the church and says, whatever those needs are, that's what I'm going to approach and that's what I'm going to be doing. So the elders are continually looking at the needs of the flock, saying, am I giving the flock the tools they need to succeed? The flock's needs are the shepherd's main concern. Another way of putting it is, as the shepherd, the elders are interacting with the flock, they're going to get covered if you want to call it, with the smell of the flock. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. My son Tim, uh, the job that he's got right now is milking, and there's no question when he gets back from being in the barn. All right, He comes in, and your nose reminds you that that's where he was. And even his barn clothes, there's no question about that. And even the spot where he takes off his stuff, there's a pile of feed that is literally right there that I said, you know, before you know it, we could... Feed our own cow with how many things come back in your boots. And he smells like the barn. And the reason why he smells like the barn is because he's been in literally amongst the cows. And as he's there, it would be a little burdensome or even nervous to me if he came home smelling better than when he left. I would have said, did you go to work today? Because him working is going to cause him to rub shoulders with the flock. And what can happen very quickly is before you know, because of the way we function, sadly, in our society, is that leaders can somehow think, in order to lead, I need to separate myself from the flock. And what the churches and what God is saying to the elders is you get right in with the flock, rubbing shoulders, being with them, being just like them. You are no better than them, and they know better than you. So here's what verse 5 tells us. We start off, point number one, be subject to your elders. Verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Now, let's take one step back again. Remember the, the thought that we talked about at the beginning. As the leadership goes, so goes the church. As the leadership of a country goes, so goes the country. And if you wanted to, it would be a phenomenal study. You could literally look back through and look about how corruption, first starting in leadership world, and how that has influenced where we all are to this day. I would, one of the things that would be a fascinating thing is because of the failures of a past president 
and his job started with a C and ends in Linton. All right, one of his past struggles that he had was his, mor- his moral stance. And remember, the argument was, hey, listen, we shouldn't let morality impact the leader. If he's a good leader, who cares what he does in his personal life? The problem is your personal life spills over into your leadership ability. And then the conversations that were being had all across America as we all wrestled with the presence president's morality, there were conversations that we would have never been having if the leaders were being moral like they should be. And before you know it, those conversations became everyday talk, which opened the door to multiple other conversations that were just waiting to be had. But because it was not proper, now it is seems to be proper. And I would argue the morality of our own culture was impacted greatly by that. So as the leadership goes, so goes everything else. So verse 5, he starts off with likewise, meaning all that I've said about the leaders being men of humility, likewise you who are younger. It's interesting Peter uses the term younger when he's talking the rest of the flock. Now that term could mean younger as in age. It also could be new in meaning that a newer. Uh, this t- term here is not pr- uh, particularly clear which one he's talking about, but I would argue back from the First Timothy passage where it talks about an elder must be seasoned in the faith, not a new convert, one that is spiritually mature. So if you're using that as a category, someone who now is not that would be someone who is younger, whether they're younger in the faith or just younger in age, either way. It's speaking of this term, elder, and then referring to the younger, and here's what it says about the younger. Subject yourselves to the elders. Be subject to the elders. This here is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's saying you who are younger, be subject to the elders. This idea of subject means the, to be under the authority or care of. When it's saying being subject, it's saying you're placing yourself, willfully placing yourself. That's why it's a command, because a command is an, is an act of the will that you are willfully placing yourself under the authority or care of another. Now we have to ask ourselves why, because I like asking the questions why. What are the reasons why the flock should be subject to the elders? And this is something that we need to make sure we're clear on. The reason I gave you three in your notes there, that God has placed the elders in authority over His blood-bought flock. Turn again to Acts chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul here is speaking to the church in Ephesus and to the elders here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts 20, 28. Remember, Paul here is giving instructions to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he tells them to do. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. This is one of the reasons why the flock is to be subject to the elders is because literally God has placed them over you to care for you. And this is no small thing that they are to care for because God literally purchased this flock with his own blood. The leadership has been placed in authority by God. B, here, number two, God will hold the leadership accountable for the way they shepherd the flock. We've looked at Hebrews chapter 13. When we were looking through that passage, that God will hold them accountable for the way they shepherd the flock. 
that one day each one that is in leadership of the church will stand before God and give an account of how they have stewarded this flock that God has entrusted them in. It's another reason why the flock should be subject to the elders. And last but not least, the other reason it says there is because God said so. He literally said it here, be subject. So if you didn't need any other reason, it says in the text, be subject to your elders. Now, we have to ask, why? Again, we're supposed to be subject to them because the authority of the church is to be a shield or guard around the flock. One of the things that God has called the leadership of the church to do is protect from wolves coming from without and also sheep that are, I mean, wolves in sheep's clothing from within. So you have the, the danger from without and you have the danger from within. The authority of the church is to shield and guard the flock. It is to realize that, listen, as the flock is submitting to the leadership because the leadership has been God-given and the leadership's role is to protect the flock, to shield the flock. To, to be continually looking. What are the dangers that are coming from without? What are the dangers that are coming from within? And even double-checking to make sure they are not part of the danger that is there as well. Because very, we talked about last week the struggles that leadership can have. And we have to make sure it's both ways, that the leadership is holding themselves accountable, that God is holding them accountable. And as we do this, the, the flock will see, they're the second part, that the flock will see that there is rest in subjecting themselves to this protective care. Because the shepherd has been given the tools to protect the flock, not the sheep. The sheep have not been given the tools to protect themselves. The shepherd has been given the tools with a staff and a rod to protect the flock. And as that has happened, the sheep are to willingly place themselves in that. While the shepherd stays watched, the sheep are allowed to sleep and rest. But the shepherd is the one that stands in the gap to make a difference. And because they are doing this, because the shepherd, by God's grace, is placing himself his needs, the needs of the church above himself, the flock should want to run into that protective care. And you say, boy, Tim, that sounds like a utopia. Because some of you and many of you have even shared with me the, the literally wreckage that many of you have seen in the church in leadership. Uh, some of you still carry the scars and the burns in those ways. So what destroys this picture? What destroys the leadership leading in such a way that the flock would love to be part of this? The flock following in such a way that the leaders find it a joy to be shepherding and vice versa. The answer is, what destroys us? A sin of pride. I know better, right? Where the leadership either says they know better, so we got pride on the leadership, or we have pride on the flock. All right, I'm going to give you just a fictitious example here. Uh, when you were at the annual meeting, the issue got up about church signage, right? The sign out front. All right, so I'm going to give you four possible responses that we could all have with this, right? So we're about ready to write the words Community Bible Church on a sign, okay? Well, you get one person that says community should be the largest because we're all about sharing the gospel with the community. So they start going around, community needs to be bigger. Some would say, no, 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 no. You worldly thinker, Bible. That's our middle name. That should be the biggest thing. I mean, I even sat through Tim's Sunday School this today, and we were talking about we're all about the Bible, so the Bible should be the one in the boldest things. And someone goes, no, were you not listening? Church should be the biggest thing, because that's what we are. We're literally blood-bought followers of God, the church. And then you get the fourth group that comes in saying all of them are important. None should be bigger than the other. 
And each one of you starts again, before you know it, we have four different groups, all starting their little pickets and riots and everything else like that. And then the leadership has to decide. And whichever one the leadership decides, which is larger, right? That must mean they, and then we're all of a sudden spiritualizing font. And before you know it, we're all wrestling through all of this because you're going, no, we know better. You know, I was a part of a church that had Bible as the biggest thing. Well, I was a part that had community as their biggest. And before you know it, pride and arrogance as in I know better than everybody else, and I know this, and I know that. And then the leadership makes a decision that may not be popular, and instead of loving the flock through that, they basically say, sit down and be quiet, we're the leaders, that's why we're here. And now all of a sudden, we're no longer leading, as we said in the past, we're driving cattle, and it is a lot easier to drive cattle because you can just smile once you crack that whip and go, look, they're all moving. And that's not what God has called us to. Notice what he says here, though. It says here, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Being a humble person. I would encourage you to think about this for a second. I was thinking back on all of the teaching times I had as I taught for the last 13 years, whether it was in school settings or whatever, how many times did we actually have curriculum that talked about humility? And at best, it was like a side note at the bottom thing. If any of you applied for a job, I can guarantee you, probably most of you, if you did, and I would say, hey, way to go, put on there of your character traits, hum humble, right? Because how do you put your humble? So it's like you don't know how to put, yes, I am very humble, which in and of itself would be unique. And then even as you're looking at all of these, these books and literature about how to make yourself better, usually humility is not the number one thing of going, this is how you should lead with being humble. But notice what it says here, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. Why clothe yourself? This idea of clothing yourself with it carries the same thing, too. I'll pick on the illustration I'll be using my son. He's about ready to go work. He goes and he grabs his jacket that is, ready, that is his milking jacket that reeks like his milking jacket. Right? And he grabs the thing, puts it on because he's ready to go serve. He's ready to go milk. It's the same thing, too, when it says clothe yourself. It's like you're coming each day as you wake up and I'm going to grab the apron and put on the apron to serve because I'm about ready to get down and dirty all the things that are going on around them, about ready to get to work and get serving. You need to clothe yourself with this. This is an act of the mind and the will. Now, again, why clothing? Clothing is an identity marker. All right? If you've ever been to a wedding, one of the faux pas, you're not supposed to wear white unless you're the bride. Why? Because that clothing has been designated for the bride. All right? It's always funny, the guys in the whole thing, the groom is just like just just black things standing up in the front here, or gray suit or whatever, nothing special or whatever, because the attention that day is towards the bride. Same thing, too, with different jobs. Your clothing distinguishes who you are. You can be out and about, and you see someone wearing scrubs, all right? Either they're going to a Halloween thing, or they actually work in the, in the doctor's office, because their clothing betrays where they are. And as you put on your clothing, many times... It is an identity marker of where you're going, as well as clothing is many times the first thing that people even see about you. Before you even say anything, from a distance they can see you. No different than if from a distance you see someone that's wearing police officer clothing, you don't have to go, excuse me, are you a police officer? Their clothing betrays them, right? And then as we even talk about how criminal it is to act like you are when you're not. 
All right? And so we see these things in front of us. Even that in and of itself can carry authority at times. This idea of clothing yourself is an act of the mind saying, this is how I'm going to be. And notice what it says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, elders and everyone else, with humility toward one another. So we, let's go through what humility is not as well as what humility is. Humility is not a lack of confidence. Meaning it's not a guy that's standing in the corner going, I'm never going to be a leader, I'm terrible at this. We don't go, oh, look how humble that guy is. That's someone who just lacks confidence. Humility is not a lack of decision, meaning the person standing there going, I'm not sure what to do, I don't know, and, they, and because they lack the ability to make a decision, sometimes we can make, think that someone who doesn't want to be in leadership or lacks decision-making, oh, they must be humble because somehow they're hiding behind that cloud, or the last one, a lack of action. Just because you are silent does not mean you are humble. Remember the wonderful proverb that even a fool seems wise if he holds his tongue. But at the end of the day, he's still a what? Fool, all right? Which means if you are a fool and you don't know what to do, at least be quiet. You'll at least look smart, even though you're not. All right? That's just a little helpful hint in a meeting. If you don't know what to say, just keep your mouth shut. People at least assume that you know what you're talking about. I always like to say, don't open your mouth. They will know you have no idea what's going on. All right? Just sit there quietly and nod. Humility, what humility is. Humility is an utter dependence on the grace of God. A person who understands humility lives their life by the grace of God, I stand. It's not because of anything in me. It's an utter dependence on the grace of God. Someone who also understands that they are not without the temptations that every other person struggles with. They're not that they are somehow better, that they somehow arrive. They understand it was not for the grace of God I can fall for any of these sins that so easily entangle us. Humility is not concerned with power or honor. When the leadership of the church is truly humble, they are not concerned with themselves getting the credit or the honor, or themselves having the power or the final say. They want it all to be done to the glory and honor of God and to Him and Him alone. And last but not least, humility is an unwavering trust in God that you're awaiting for His timing. Because leadership struggle is going to be, let's get things done, we want to keep things moving, we have good synergy, whatever that means in a church. And before you know it, they're like, we got to keep this ball rolling as if somehow we were the ones rolling it anyway. It was as if it was not Christ who was building his church. And before you know it, when all of a sudden it seems like we need to wait, many of the leadership, it's easy to wait from one board meeting to the next. But then you're like, we need to do something about this. But a board that is humble says we will not move unless we know that that is where God is calling us to go. So why is humility so important? Notice it says in the text, for. With humility towards one another, for. Now it's going to give a reason. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's think about this for a moment. That word oppose literally means resist. God hates pride so much that he literally stands against those who are proud. He resists them to their face. If you want to be resisted by God, be proud, prideful, and guess what God will do? He will say, no, that is not happening. But if you want to get grace, you must be humble. 
Now, real quick, turn your Bibles to Proverbs 3.34. Proverbs 3.34 is actually this, this text being cited. Proverbs 3.34. And we're going to... This is what Peter is quoting here. Remember, he says, God resists the proud or opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if you go to Proverbs 3.34, you will read this and you will go, huh, kind of looks the same, but not really. Proverbs 3.34, toward the scorner he is scornful, but the humble he gives favor. And you look at this and go, how in the world did Peter get, I mean, like, it, was he just, you know, just couldn't remember at the time? So here's a little Bible interpretation 101. New Testament writers, many times when they are quoting the Old Testament, take the concept or the teaching that was taught there and bring it right over here and quote it. All right. So what he's doing there, this is normal for, Old Testament, for New Testament writers quoting the Old Testament to take the teaching concept and go, here's what it is. Because if you look at what he's saying is those who are scornful, those who are, are prideful in what they're doing, God is against them. And those who are humble, God is for them. This is what he is quoting there. Now, even though you say quoting, well, he's not quoting the way the English-speaking world quotes. He's quoting the way the Jewish world quotes, okay? So we don't have, what we don't have here is a mistake. What we have here is this is what they would do. They would take Proverbs. Now remember, what were Proverbs? Proverbs were wise sayings that they would grab and use at the right moment. They would take the concept of the teaching and they would grab it and apply it. So one of the reasons why we memorize Proverbs is no different than a guy that's got his whole tool belt ready to go. So when a situation comes, he grabs that proverb and applies it to what is there. And whether he quotes the whole thing or not, it's the same, it's still there. Like to give you an example, if I was sharing uh, the gospel with someone and I would say, everyone has sinned and they don't meet God's standard. All right, I'm telling you a passage of scripture, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I'm telling you, like it says in Romans 3, and then I say it, no one's going to sit there and go, wait a minute, he didn't give the right the right uh, verse, or he didn't give all these other things like that. You're quoting, you're still quoting the text, but you're doing it in a little bit, I would say it in a more loose quote in and of itself. So here's what he's saying. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. He takes pride seriously. Let's go all the way back to the garden. In the garden, our first parents sin. Eve and Adam look at the tree and they say, yeah, I know God said this, but we think our way is better. I know God said this, but we think this way is better. And that is the temptation that is not just for the flock, that is the temptation for the leadership as well, to go, I don't really know if, you know, there's some parts of the Bible that are kind of harsh. Or like, give me an example that are kind of harsh. And people ask you, so if you're saying I don't believe what the Bible says, you're saying that I'm not going to be with God, I'm actually going to be internal punishment in hell. And we go, yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's not the most fun thing to say, but the truth is still the truth. And so before you know, we can go, well, I don't know. I don't know if I really like that. Let's like defang it. Let's take some of the edges off of it. And before you know it, we don't have what the Bible says. We just have a man's version of some book that was not even being used properly. And before you know it, we have, don't have Christianity at all because somehow we think we know what is best. 
That's why even in Sunday schools, we looked at the book of Hebrews and was talking about the Word of God is alive and active and it cuts right to the very heart, even the intentions and the heart and the soul. And you know what? As the Word of God comes in, it will cut. It has a sting to it. The Word of God has a sting to it because we know in our own hearts that you go, wait a minute, I'm not living the way it should. And as the Word of God comes in, those who love the Lord, those who are not caught up with their own pride and think that they can do it, the Word of God comes in and cuts and it humbles us. Jonathan Edwards says, Pride is the main door in which the devil comes into the heart. Pride makes us think that we, can, we are the exception to the rule. We can live a life of sin and never get caught, even though the Bible says your sin will find you out. We're the ones that think we're the exception to the rule. We don't have to do this, or we don't have to take the Bible seriously because we think we know, and you fill in the blank. But what does humility do? When we truly embrace humility, when we truly desire to be humble, it increases our hunger for the Word. When we're truly humble, we realize, but by the grace of God, so go I, and so we desire to hear the things of God because we see what they truly are, are words of life. As the old hymn says, speak them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. They only become words of life when we realize that we are not the end of end all. That, that is, the Word of God is, and then they become sweet. And as we read them, we hunger for them even more because so many times in our lives, we like to either live it this way or verbally say it, God, I got this. And here's how we do it. And this is, this is the battle that's in front of us in Ephesians. You'll finally get there with Brian. It's going to talk about putting on the armor of God. And I can guarantee you, I, I can, at least in my own life, this is what happens, and you guys are probably not at all like this either. But in my own life, do you know how many days I wake up and I get started the day, and I haven't, before I start dealing with the issues that are coming at me, you know, before, when I get up and I've got my cup of coffee and I decide to like, hey, let's go down through all the emails and responses and everything. And I start giving out wisdom that is not from God. And before I know, I have not even sat down and spent my time in the Word yet. And before I even go any further, I haven't put on the armor of God. And then I go through the day and go, oh man, that was a terrible day. It's because I did in my own strength. And then here's the crazy part. Every so often you'll have a day where it seems on the surface that, hey, I didn't get in the Word of God and... Things happen. That's called God's grace by not exposing you to your own stupidity. But you try that day after day where you're not in the Word, you're not following Him, and you know what's going to happen? You will see real quick the foolishness of your ways. Humility increases the hunger for the Word, and it opens the heart to follow the Spirit. Here's why it opens the heart to follow the Spirit. Because when you are prideful, you think you've got it. But when you are humble, you realize, I need Him. I can't do this on my own. I can't fix this thing on my own. I can't solve this stuff on my own. I need Him and Him alone for this wisdom. That is why all of the leadership, that is why those who are subject to the leadership, that is why the flock and the elders and everyone within the sound of my voice needs to understand that humility is the thing that will keep us together. But pride will destroy us. But it seeps in so quickly. Because as our friend, the country singer, reminds us, it is hard to be humble when you're what? When you think you're perfect, right? But all of us are phenomenally perfect in our own minds, right? 
I mean, we have justifications for everything we do, right? Make a mistake once and listen to all of the problems, right? Why it happened. You know, how many of you have ever mistaken you had at least 10 other people to blame before you got to yourself, right? Especially if you work in some type of production line. It's never your fault, right? You can always punt it to the guy behind you. Well, he didn't do that right, or he didn't do this right. And if he would have done his right, then I would not have made my mistake. And we can just keep blaming all sorts of things. But here's what the humble heart says. I cannot do anything without God's grace. So the humble heart wakes up in the morning and cries out, God, give me the grace I need each day. Because I know without your grace, I would pursue after worthless things. So in front of us now is a question. Each day is this question. Am I going to wake up and today clothe myself with humility? Taking on the clothes of a servant and being ready to serve those around me, knowing that without the grace of God, so would go I. Because our great shepherd did not come to be served, but to serve. And so am I waking up each day asking, what can people do for me, or what can I do for others to show them the grace of God? So the shepherd and the flock must be clothed in humility. The song we're about ready to sing is, I surrender all. There's a surrendering of yourself that must happen in humility. Of denying ourselves and thinking of others. If it doesn't wake you up enough that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, I would argue, you want the grace of God in your life? Pursue humility. And guess what? God is more than willing to continue to keep giving grace to those who are humble. And it's, the beautiful thing about it is, humility starts from a proper understanding of God and a proper understanding of self. That I'm a sinner saved by grace, in need of a Savior, and nothing that I have has not come from Him. So that's why we can say, I surrender all, because it was never mine to begin with, it was His to begin with. So surrendering it all is just reiterating back to Him, it's all yours. And that, then and only then can we live a humble life. So let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you that it is by your grace we stand. Humility is something that is such a needed thing in each one of our lives, but it is something that seems that many times to be hard to grasp. So help us to wake up each day understanding your grace and grace alone is what guides us. Help us to be a church that is known for wanting to serve others, to serve those around us, to be willing to give up our resources of time and money and effort, all for the glory of you. Help us now, we pray. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. If you could stand with us as we sing.